Well, it is my pleasure to be here again. I love this church, and I have some happy memories in the past here, and I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad this time my wife could be with me, and Danny said she was with me, and some of you would go away and say, well, I didn't see her. There she is. Uh, and I better get this right since she's here today. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had a professor say one day in class that the hardest sermon to preach in the entire year in a church is Thanksgiving. Because what are you going to say that they hadn't heard before? And so I thought about that this week and I thought, well, I'll just preach Christmas. This, and if you go by the, the Christmas calendar, the liturgical calendar, this is the first Sunday in Advent. I'll just preach on Christmas. And then I thought, no. I'm going to do it. I'm going to preach on Thanksgiving. And I want to preach about something today that I hope you will remember the rest of your life because I'm going to preach about something that we all that know Jesus Christ have very big reason to be thank for which we are to be thankful. Now, having said that, before I read the scripture, I want to introduce it this way. Um, there are a number of us in this room who are old enough to admit to ourselves and to others that because we are old, we do think from time to time about the fact that we're going to die. When you're young, you think, oh, I'll think about that one of these days, but I'm not worried about that. But unless you get sick, you kind of put it off. But when you get older and you realize time is going by fast, you think about death. And you think about very common questions, ordinary questions. What happens when we die? And the big question and about which I'm going to preach today is what is heaven like? If we're Christians, that's where we're headed. What's it like there? Well, how do you find sure answers to questions? The best means to find an answer to a question about some, pl some place, for example, is to talk to somebody who's been there. They can come back and tell you all about it. Uh, scripture records several instances of death and resurrection. Lazarus died. He was dead. He was buried for several days. And then Jesus was very concerned about him. He was a close friend and he came and you know the famous shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And then Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave and brought him back to life. But Lazarus never said anything that we know recorded in scripture about heaven. The apostle Paul was stoned in the village of Lystra and left for dead. And, uh, then he was revived, and all Paul said about that was, I know a man caught up in the third heaven. He saw things no man can utter. That's Acts chapter 14. And even Jesus died and rose again, and he was with, uh, with us on earth back again 40 days. But did Jesus tell us anything about heaven when he was back for 40 days? No, he really didn't. He never discussed it. We know about uh, anything about it with his disciples, at least that was recorded. So answers to, to questions about death and heaven and so forth are difficult to find unless you come to one place in the Bible. I want you all please to take your Bibles and turn with me now to Revelation chapter 7. And we're going to read this and then I'm going to just ask some basic questions that are going to answer things about what is heaven like. Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. Hear now God's word. After this, I looked, 
and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, and blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with presence. I want you to notice particularly in that verse, the word serve. They serve him day and night. They shall hunger no more, neither, shall, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. But for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. John says he looked, and behold, what did he see? He saw an open door, and he looks through that door, and he tells us what he saw. And this is how we can learn what heaven is like. And so I'm going to ask some basic questions as we go through this that will just give us answers. Where are dead Christians? I didn't say where are the dead. I said where are dead Christians? Where are they? Well, verse 9 tells us. Afterward, he looked, and behold, a great multitude, nobody could number it, from every tribe and people and so forth and tongue, standing before the throne. Christians who die, have soul, we all have souls. And we all, we're, we're usually buried. It's not as common now as it once was, but it's still very common. And our bodies rest in the grave normally, and our souls are taken to heaven. And so... Christians who die are not in the grave. They are not lying in a cold, musty tomb. They are risen standing among the people of God in the very presence of heaven. There was a film a long time ago that some of you are old enough to remember named called HUD, H-U-D. And hard times had come to the West, and there was drought. We know something about that right now, don't we? Except I understand y'all got a lot of rain here last night. And good for you, because we didn't get it in Tennessee. I've mean, got some mist, but not rain. Uh, hard times had come to the West. Drought, dying cattle, and an old father suddenly died, and there was a somber funeral. There's an old Roman Catholic priest who comes to uh, comfort the grieving son, and he said, and you hear this all the time now. The, the priest said to him, he's gone to a better place. I am so tired of hearing that. It's so common. Everybody, when, when that's what the world said. Well, they've gone to a better place. Never been in church their whole, or in years. Certainly never professed faith in Christ. But they've gone to a better place. Want to bet? That's not what the Bible teaches. If they're not a Christian, they haven't gone to a better place. They've gone to hell. And I'll have to tell you that I'm just telling you the truth. 
The son listening to that old Catholic priest bitterly replies, not unless you believe that breathing dirt is better than breathing uh, air. And to a person who's not a Christian to the world in our culture today, which is becoming more and more non-Christian almost by the week, to that person, death is hard. It's the end of all coffins and decay and skeletons and unhappiness and loneliness. But John looks through heaven's open door and what does he see? Death is to be transported to heaven before the throne with the saints always beholding him. Okay, let's do a little survey here. How many of you in this room have read the Pilgrim's, and notice I put the article there, the Pilgrim's Progress, raise your hand. Look at you, I'm impressed. That's pretty good. But I'll make you not feel so good. Charles Spurgeon read it 50 times. I've read it twice. <laughs> I got 48 to go. <laughs> In Pilgrim's Progress, Hopeful is crossing the cold raging river of death. It's at the end. And he calls back to his frightened pilgrim friends on the, other, on the shore that he's just left. And he says, be of good cheer, my brothers. I have, and if you've ever been crossing a creek or a river and you've had this happen, you know exactly what he's talking about. He said, I have touched the bottom and it is sound. And you know, when you're crossing a creek and you're not sure whether it's going to get over your head and all of a sudden you touch the bottom, you think, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to have a problem. John's revelation gives us the same and firm footing as we face death. It tells us that death is not an exit for a Christian. It is an entrance into paradise. Isn't that a beautiful word? Paradise. Okay, second question. Is there going to be room for me there? Is there going to be room for you there? If you've been in the ministry a long time like I have, or most, uh, nearly all preachers have had this if, if they've been in it a long time, you've been asked by a person who's dying. Uh, he looks at you in the eye and he says, Preacher, is there a place for me up there? Is there a place for me in paradise? Maybe you, I, you, those of you, again, who are older have had this experience, and maybe, maybe all of you have had this experience, but you've been on a trip and it's, it's, uh, you didn't make reservations, and you're tired, and you're getting close to where you just don't think you want to drive anymore, and you want to stop, and the children are getting chippy, and you think, we gotta, we got to do something, and you pull into a motor hotel, a motel, and you walk in and say, uh, we'd like a room for five. Sorry, we're full. And your heart sinks, and you go a bit further down the road, and there's another one, and you pull in there, and it's, you don't even have to go inside. It says no vacancy. It's an empty, bad feeling, and you realize, we got to keep going, and I don't know. We'll find something sooner or later. You know, there are people that, think, that are afraid that heaven is like that. What does John say, though? What does verse 9 say? A great, he can't say it in any stronger language than this, a great multitude which no man can number. It's a very big place. Now, I, I, had a, I have a good friend in the ministry who, th normally when we think about heaven, we think, oh, it's up there. And I, I think probably, I'm, I'm gonna guess, go ahead and say I think it is. But I have a good friend who thinks, and he's a very faithful, godly man, believes the Bible, he thinks it's just another dimension. 
And he thinks it's just like stepping off these stairs right here and you step down and, and when you die and you're there. Uh, I don't know what, what the, the point is, whenever, wherever it is, it is a place and it is large and no man can number it. It's big enough to hold all of us who believe and love and have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What did Jesus say? In my Father's house are what? Many mansions. Hey, you got a good place waiting. You got, you got something nice waiting. I do, you do, we do. Uh, it's a place prepared. Who prepared it? Jesus prepared it. It's going to be sharp. It's going to be good. And he's doing it right now, even while we're sitting here in this worship service at Main Street in Columbus today. Third question, and this is the big one. I've been asked this many times in the ministry. Will we recognize each other? We're going to know each other when we get there? Some of us, as some say, that it's kind of like a drop of water returning to a faceless sea that we just kind of merge into obscurity and, and that, you know, you're just one of many. I've had a, an elderly widow ask me and, or say to me, and, and again, anybody who's been in ministry for a while has probably heard this, uh, preacher, I don't think I could really enjoy heaven if my husband's not going to be there and he'd already died first. Are we going to know each other when we get there? I got good news for you if you're worried about that. Revelation again, chapter, chapter 7, verse 9. John points out that the hosts of heaven can be identified by their nationality, by their tongue, by their tribe, by their race. If that doesn't say it strongly enough, yes, we are going to know each other. And that isn't the only evidence we have. Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration occurs. And Jesus appears on the mountain, or on the mountain appears with Jesus, two men who have been dead, but in, and they're now in heaven, and yet they're clearly recognizable as they are side by side with Jesus, and their names are Moses and Elijah. John chapter 20 talks about Christ's resurrection. He has a voice. He has a personality, he has words, he has a face. All of these were recognized by his close friend, Mary Magdalene. Just do a little inferential thinking. Yes, we're going to know each other. Imagine now, just for a minute, stepping through that open door, wide open into paradise. Hey, look over there. There's your grandfather. There's your mother. Are you kidding me? That's the Apostle Paul, George Friedrich Handel. I'm finally going to get to talk with C.S. Lewis. Wow. There's David. Oh, I never thought I'd see her here. She died when we were in elementary school. Heaven's one big glad reunion of those who are familiar with each other and who belong to Jesus Christ. Are you getting the point now? Have we got something to be thankful for? You're not kidding, we do. <clears throat> so here's another question. <clears throat> what are they doing? And this is a biggie. Because this is the one that everybody that doesn't know any of the Bible makes the silliest statements about. 
and the secular world doesn't know anything and they make silly statements about it. What do people do in heaven? Uh, this is another thing that just drives me crazy and I hear it all the time. I've heard it within the last week. Somebody famous dies who doesn't know Jesus Christ and as R.C. Sproul classically put it, uh, in America we s seem to believe uh, by just, in ju not justification by faith alone, but justification by death. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. In America, everybody that doesn't really know the truth thinks, oh, if you die, you go to heaven. So uh, there's justification by death. It's so common it, it, it's all over the place. It's a sign of how pagan our culture has become. And so there is the popular custom that they'll, you'll hear, it, as I say, I heard it this week, rest well, rest well. Doesn't, never, wouldn't know, wouldn't know that much about the scriptural teaching about how do you get to heaven, but rest well. <laughs> That's why I told you to look at the verse we, I was reading when, when we went through it a few minutes ago. What is verse, do, do, does everybody in heaven sit around playing a harp, adjusting their halo, flitting around like an angel? That's what the world thinks. There's not a bit of that in the Bible. What did verse 15 say? S-E-R-V-E, serve. Now, there's several things we do in heaven, but this is one of them. We are busy. I think we're working. Oh, you say work? You kidding me? I don't want to work. You know why work is hard now? Sometimes, sometimes work isn't hard, but you know why you get tired and why it's toilsome and why? It's because this is a fallen world and you've been affected by the curse of sin and its labor. But we're going to have things to do in heaven that are going to be wonderful and glorious, and we're not going to get tired. I remember at the Pensacola Theological Institute years ago when I was in college hearing Dr. Robert Strong from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Montgomery <coughs> saying that he believed that we were going to have projects to accomplish in heaven and that we were go perhaps, and he was just speculating, go to other universes and do things and carry on things. I, I don't know whether there's any basis for believing that or not, but what I do know is that we're going to be serving and that implies we're going to be doing things in addition to worship, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But we're going to be busy in a good way, and you're not going to, you're not going to get bored, and you're not going to get tired, and you're going to love it, and it's going to get better and better and better, and when you've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, you've no less days to sing God's praise than when you've first begun. Get rid of the idea <clears throat> that heaven is an eternal sort of South Florida retirement place where you go and sit around and do nothing but read books and watch TV and, and you're happy, happy, happy. All no, that's not it at all. <clears throat> that's the world's way of looking. The Bible says that we serve him. When the French Impressionist Renoir was dying, he said, what a pity. I was just, the last thing he said, what a pity, I was just beginning to show promise. If John's revelation here is correct, and of course I believe it is, then our promise is not ended in death, but it progresses as we do fulfilling things, as we continue to live our lives amongst people that we like and enjoy and love being together, and we fellowship without war. And the big one for us, divorce. 
and covenant breaking and sickness and absences. None of that is there. It's gone forever. And then we worship. Oh, what a great thing it's going to be to worship. What a great congregation. Everybody's there. You know what? I've worked in five churches. Uh, two of them were very large. One in Memphis and one in Nashville. I worked in a small, uh, medium-sized church in Brookhaven. I worked in small, a, couple of, uh, a small church. I was church planted. In all of those churches, in all of those places, it doesn't matter whether it was small or large, we never had a Sunday where every single member was there. Somebody was always gone, missing, sick, upset, didn't want to come. <laughs> you don't miss the worship service in heaven, and you won't want to because it's going to be fantastic. The praying has stopped. Why would you pray in heaven? The preaching has stopped. There's no preaching in heaven. You're going to know everything. You're going to be, in a sense, perfect, and you're going to know everything you need to know. But get ready. What does it say we're going to be doing, among other things? Serving and what else? In worship. We're going to worship. We're going to be singing. Now, when I was a little boy growing up in Brandon, Mississippi, a lot, not a lot, but some of the men wouldn't sing. they just look. And I kind of bothered me, and I kind of wanted to say something about it, but I thought, I am eight years, nine years old. I can't say anything to them. And I didn't. If you're one of those people who doesn't like to sing in church, you better tune up. Get ready. Because <laughs> you're going to like to sing in heaven. So practice now. Get with it. <laughs> What a great congregation. Everybody's there. We're singing a new song. We're beholding Jesus Christ. And faith has turned into seeing. John used very descriptive language. He uses the language in the King James. If you'll read it, it says, it's, it's, it reads, he spread his tent over us. A sign of hospitality. We're all together under a big tent. We're in his pavilion. And again, I'll mention some things that aren't. Nobody gets hungry. There's no more hunger. And nobody gets thirsty. Maybe you've never had the cotton mouth, but I have. No more thirst. No more scorching, scorching, say it right, heat. Nothing but cool refreshment from the springs of living water. I love the imagery there, the the feeling of that. And John goes on to describe in God's presence, there are no more tears, there's no more sin, there's no more guilt, there's no more broken relationships, nobody's talking about you behind your back, nobody's telling you one thing and lying to you, none of that, no disease, no fatigue, you don't get tired. And when you get old, some of you in this room know what I'm talking about, things just hurt. And it just goes with the territory, and you didn't know it was going to be that way, but you, things just ache. None of that. No more. No crippling old age. And it's beautiful. I, you know, I don't know whether to really take literally the language in heaven that talks, uh, the language in Revelation talks about streets of gold and gates of pearl 
and, and fast dancing, I just know it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be pleasant to the eye, and you're never going to get tired of looking at it. You know, a lot of times you can look at a beautiful painting if you've been to some of the great art museums in the world, and, and you look at it, and you say, wow. And you look at it for about 15 minutes, and you say, wow. And you say, that's nice. Let's go to the next one. That won't ever happen. Some of you have had the experience, some of you men have had the experience I have, of coming home after a long drive. Recently, Bebo Elkin and I went down to Pensacola, Florida to meet with the McElwain uh, church session down there about the pulpit committee, and we drove back. We got back into Jackson about 1 o'clock in the morning. I walked in the house. At the, she had left, the, we live out in the country, way out in the country from Raymond. She'd left the lights, some of them on. And uh, the door was open. And you know, if you've lived in a place for a while, I don't I mean to say this in a pleasant way, there's a little bit of a, a smell to it that's good. It's home. You like it. And you see, you see your, your, your books are still there, and your chair, and your clothes, and those things are great. But there's nothing like the fact that she stayed up or she stayed awake, or she was awake when you got there. And, and she met you with a smiling face. So wonderful. Now you think with me. The streets of gold, the pearly gates, as it were, <clears throat> the music and the people, those are wonderful things. And I've, I've just described it a little bit. But the best of all is the center of it. Jesus. And I'm going to say it with language that we understand. When we get our chance, we're going to fall on his neck with joy. And we're going to say, I didn't deserve this. I don't, I don't know why I got to be here. But thank you. And you're going to hug him. Revelation chapter 4 verse 6 says that the throne, the, the area around God's throne is like a sea of glass. A calm, calm sea <clears throat> on an early morning. Not a ripple of care, of pain, of doubt, of worry. Undisturbed forever. Okay, the final question is this. I've already alluded to it as I began. <clears throat> who, gets, who, gets, who gets in the gate? Who's allowed to go to heaven? Language we hear today sometimes about an athlete, or it's used in other contexts too, to say he's a keeper. That means we want him on our team and we don't want to let him go, or we want her to be a part of this organization, or, 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 or uh, that's used in all kind of context. How big is a keeper in the Lord's eyes? What kind of person gets into heaven? Well, Revelation chapter seven again describes it. White robes, palm branches in their hands, Praising God, saying salvation belongs to God. Who are they? Verse 13 asks, and verse 14 answers. They are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. That's a great description of a Christian. Sins cleansed by Christ's blood on the cross. The only way to get into heaven is to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I played a lot of sports when I was growing up, and I still like to listen to good 
sports talk. Now, do you hear what I said? Good sports talk on the radio. Some of it is junk, but some of it is really interesting. <clears throat> I lived in Memphis for 20 years, and there was, a, there was a broadcaster that I used to listen to in the morning named George Lapidus. And I don't know if any of you remember him or not, but anyway, he's fascinating. He knew his stuff. And uh, he had great people interview. And one time I remember he and a guy, a guy called in. They were talking about the Final Four basketball tournament. And it was getting down to the wire. And I think they were, they were down to the final two. And this fellow said to George Lapidus, he said, uh, George, you know how much a ticket cost to, and this was almost 20 years ago. You know how much a ticket costs to sit on the front row behind the team? George says, well, I'm not sure how much. He said, well, I just found out $8,000. George Lapidus said, I wouldn't pay $8,000 to get a ticket into heaven. That's the only time I've almost called in. <laughs> I mean, that's the only time I, did, I that's right, I just almost called in. I, I wanted to call in and say, George, you need a ticket to get into heaven. What you don't know is they're free. They were paid for by Jesus Christ and they're stained with blood. And if you don't have a bloodstained ticket, you're not going to get in, George. And that's the final thing I want to say here to you today. That is the way to get into heaven. And if you don't have that ticket to me, listen to me now. It was J.I. Packer, whom I read said, <clears throat> a famous writer, some of you would know his name, who said, any time in the history of Christianity there have been at least 20 people gathered together, Someone's lost. I, I, I don't have spiritual radar. I can't look in your hearts. But we got more than 20 people here today. And I want to say, do you have a ticket to get in? They're free. But you better get one or you're not going to get through this gate and see all this thing. You're not going to have all these wonderful blessings. If you don't have that, make sure this is serious business. Don't miss this. If you miss this, you miss it all. In 1295 AD, Marco Polo returned from a long trip to China. And he got back to Rome and he, he chronicled it. He, he chronicled it. And he told his friends all about the Far East. And he said, they have silk and spices, and fireworks, and pagodas, and printing presses. You know what they said to him? You're lying. You're exaggerating. We don't believe any of that. And he said, listen to me. The half of it I haven't told you. Okay. I haven't told you the half of it. I, their preachers can do it better than I can. But I'm telling you, you can't beat a deal like this. Ever. This is the best thing in the world. And this is why you and I need to be thankful. We're the only country in the world that has Thanksgiving holiday. I, somebody challenged me on that, and it's possible that Canada does. I don't know, but I think we're the only ones. And you think, you just get take for granted all the things we got in America. But don't take this for granted. This is a super wonderful blessing, and it's yours 
when you get that ticket to get into heaven because he paid for your sins by his doing and dying, by his perfect righteousness that's earned, that he earned, that becomes ours when we exercise faith. Words can never do justice to paradise. What did Paul say? And with this, I'm through. Eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, nor has the thought entered into the mind of man as to the wonderfulness as to what God has created for those who love him. In the fourth century, Clement of Alexandria wrote something that I love. Talking about Jesus, he said, he's turned all our sunsets into sunrises. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, what more could we ask for than to be given the blessing of salvation and then heaven? May we not take it for granted. May we never forget, may, another, may, may we never have another Thanksgiving that we don't remember how thankful we are for what you have prepared for us. We, can't, we don't even know how to describe it. It's so wonderful. Thank and praise you, Father, we, we say in Jesus' name, amen.